Our Father, as we listen to your word uh, this morning, I pray that God, the Holy Spirit, will open up our hearts and our mind, and he will speak so that we will not be the same at the end. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So imagine this, that you are in a courtroom, right? You are in a courtroom, you are on trial, and this trial could end in your death. Depending on how it goes, this is death sentence. And so you find yourself before your judge, and you have been accused of doing something really, really bad that you believe you haven't done. Now you have the opportunity again before really you go to the Supreme Court, which is in Rome, if you like. You meet the emperor himself. You have the opportunity. What would you say, knowing that this thing could really end in my death? I don't know what you say, but I know where that will be leading you will do everything within your power and within your words and within your tears to defend yourself. And if you're a Christian, you will call on the church, as we normally do, mobilize prayer. Call on the church to be praying for you, and that is good. But you'll be defending yourself as hard as possible. Now, we had, I think, last week, from Brother Tim, how in Acts chapter 26, Paul makes a defense of himself. And we see that really he wasn't making a defense of himself as much as he was making a defense of the Lord Jesus, of the good news of Jesus Christ. So he makes a defense, and the first part we heard last week was really to talk about his own encounter with Jesus. Jesus is risen, he died, he is risen, and I have seen him. And look, I persecuted the church. It's not like I just had an argument from the church per se. I had an argument from the Lord Jesus himself. He spoke to me. He mentioned my name. The accusation that he is facing right now is strong. You know it's in chapter 24, if you were here a couple of weeks ago. He said, we have found in this man, Paul, to be a troublemaker, stirring up routes among Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple. So we seized him and we want to kill him. We want him to be sentenced to death. Oh, this is serious. And now Paul, here he is making this defense. And now, he finds himself before the king. And this king is, if you like, the king among the Jews, the king of Judea. And he is from the Herodian dynasty. Okay? If you are from this particular family, then you get to inherit. So he is a Herod. He is called Agrippa. King Agrippa. Festus, whose name is mentioned, is the Roman governor. You remember during the, um, the colonial, if you've read it, the colonial time here in the Gold Coast before Ghana became Ghana. We had the, the chief, let's say, um, the chief of, or the king of Achimebuakwa or the Ashantis or whoever. He was there 
But then there was a governor that had been sent. So Festus is like that. He is the governor. And he will look up to Agrippa. Agrippa is a king. Agrippa may understand this thing because what Paul was talking about, he was lost. I don't even know what to make of it. So I decided to wait until you come. What would you say if you were Paul? What would you say? Instead of making a defense of himself and about himself and to give a proof of his innocence, he takes the opportunity, we will see, Paul takes the opportunity to preach the good news of the Lord Jesus. And he does it in two ways. Number one, remember last week we heard about his encounter. So number one is that he talks about what Jesus does to you when you encounter him. What Jesus does to you when you encounter him. And then number two, what happens when you encounter Jesus? What happens to you when you encounter this man? And he's going to weave the good news into this, into the situation. Now, please listen to this. If you have an opportunity to make a defense of yourself when you know that if it doesn't go well, you will die. You are going to speak what you believe are the most important things in order that you be discharged and acquitted and set free. You're not going to toy here. You're not going to play around. You're not going to crack jokes. This is about life and death. And so what Paul is going to say here is in a sense going to capture what he has been all about in his ministry and indeed what the whole Bible has been about. And this is what Jesus Christ does. Um, 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 well, this is what happens when you encounter Jesus. This is what happens. We'll see it in the text, but I'll say it right now. Number one, he saves you. When you encounter Jesus, he rescues you from something. We'll see that in a minute. Not only that, he calls you and commissions you to be part of something only God can do and only God is doing. He saves you, he calls you, he commissions you, he makes you a part of something God is doing. Number three, when you encounter Jesus, he turns you his enemy, he turns his enemies so that they become his servants and they become witnesses of Jesus. And so you will see here, Paul is called to be a witness, a witness of Jesus. How does he witness about something he himself hasn't seen and experienced and heard? So he is called here to testify about the Jesus he has encountered. All the things that I have mentioned, he's going to speak about. And so what is the what, is, what really does Jesus do when you encounter him? What does he do in your heart? Look at verse 16 and verse 18. Paul is told, now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. To open the eyes, to... Um, to open their eyes, verse 18, and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan so that they may receive forgiveness of sins 
and, play, and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. What has Paul experienced so far? Everything that you can think of Paul, all the miracles, all the things that have happened, what has he experienced so far? Jesus opened his eyes. How would you know this? Look at verse 16 and verse 18. Everything that he says and commissions Paul to go and do to others, of course, Jesus through Paul. Paul himself had experience. Jesus opened Paul's eyes. Jesus turned Paul from darkness to light. Now, what Jesus did when he turned Paul from darkness to light was to say this, Paul, you do not understand the way of life, even though you think you do. That is why you were persecuting the church. You do not really understand life. You're living with all your learning, with all your religiosity, going to the synagogue and doing everything that you did. You are still living in darkness. You are lost in darkness. And then because he encountered God in Jesus who is light, now Paul can see. Now he can see. You remember when Paul um, encountered the Lord, he was blinded, isn't it? All along he thought he was seeing. And I think that there is something symbolic going on there. He thought he could see, only to be revealed to him that he has always been blind. You've always been blind to God. You've always been blind to life. And the Lord Jesus, through Ananias, opened his eyes. Now, when his eyes were opened, Paul was a different human being altogether. Jesus, when Paul encountered him, according to these verses, turned Paul from darkness to light. Now, when we say that, a person lives in darkness. Please don't think about people who do bad things only. We're talking about people who believe that they understand life. They've sorted out their lives out. They are very good people. They are decent people. They can live life without God. Uh, life without God. And then they go ahead and live life their way. They are their own. Um, they determine their own good and bad. They determine what is right and what is wrong. They are their own God. Decent, the expression you use, Enosera, calm, collected, and cool, calm, collected people. Any life without God is life in darkness. And that was Paul. Paul wasn't a bad person. Let's remember. Paul was a learned lawyer. Perhaps if it were today, he had multiple PhDs. He knew it, and he had studied under Professor Gamaliel. This was not a small guy. And when it came to obedience to the Jewish law and everything that the fathers had handed over to them, he obeyed it. He himself says it. He was faultless, and yet he lived in darkness. And Jesus who is the light of the world, who shows what it means to truly live. When Paul encountered him, his eyes were open. And so Paul is saying here that the reason Jesus, when people encounter him by faith in him, he changes them. And Jesus says that you're going to proclaim this to the rest of the world. Look at verse 18 again. And when you preach this to the world, 
What is Jesus? Remember here, Jesus is the one speaking. Paul is reporting, but he's reporting, quoting what Jesus, the risen Jesus, had told him. So verse 18, so that when people hear this message, this message that you have encountered yourself, when people hear me, when people see me, Jesus, the same way that you encountered, so that they may receive, verse 18, forgiveness of sins, and that they may receive a place. He says these two things. They may receive forgiveness of sin, and they may receive a place among those who are being sanctified by faith in me. What does he mean by they may receive forgiveness of sin? The first thing is that they themselves do not manufacture the sin, they re, uh, the forgiveness. They receive it. It is to be received. <laughs> You're not able to do anything about your own salvation. You receive it. Salvation is like a package that is there. You stretch out your hand, as I said some time ago, the beggar's arm, and you receive it by faith in Jesus. So that they may receive forgiveness of their sin. Because someone took on their sin and the punishment as a result of their sin. Someone took it in their place. God will not allow sin to go unpunished. For the Christian, for those who are in Jesus, who trust in Jesus, it doesn't mean he has overlooked your sin. It doesn't mean he has swept it under the carpet. It means that it has cost himself. It's been punished to himself in Jesus. And now you can be pardoned. You can be forgiven. It is no cost to you. It is all the cost to me. And then he says again that when you encounter Jesus and you hear the good news about Jesus and what Jesus does, which we see in Paul, you will again receive. It's not something that you do in order to be put right with God. You receive a place among those who ask. What does he mean by place? You receive forgiveness and then you receive a place. Now, when you think of a place among a group of people, think of acceptance. Now you belong. You are in a community. And actually, for the rest of the New Testament, you will see this expanded. Now you are adopted into a new family. You are part of the people of God. You, are in a, you belong. You are in a new community. When you encounter the Lord Jesus, not only do you receive forgiveness of sin, you receive a new identity as well. You belong here. You belong among Jesus' people. You are in him. You are in, a, you are in a new community. I don't know whether you're thinking about it because that, that is something else. You are the people of God. Really? Me? Among the people of God for all eternity. You. You are in Jesus. You are welcomed. You are now acknowledged. When Paul encountered the Lord Jesus, amazing thing happened. His name was mentioned. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuted? But the fact that the Lord Jesus knew his name, mentioned him, there is something going on there, of course. Now he became Paul. Now you are acknowledged. You're welcome into the very family of God. And that is what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian, Paul says, is to receive God's pardon, God's forgiveness, because he's been punished in Jesus, and to receive a new identity, a new place. Place. 
You have a place. You have a chair in the family. When the people of God gather around the dining table, there is a chair for you. If you are in Jesus, incredible. Even this guy, whose name I always mention wrongly, and I'm looking at you because I know so I may pick on that <laughs> sooner or later. Mephibosheth, in the Old Testament, those of you who know the story of Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son, and then he is alive, he's crippled, and David sets a table and says, Mephibosheth, you will sit with the king and eat. And then he says, he calls, he, Mephibosheth describes himself as a dog. How can I sit with the king? He didn't see himself qualified to sit with King David. Someone greater than King David. The Lord Jesus, the king of kings, when we are in him, he gives us a place around the family table. Pardoned, forgiven, those who are being sanctified, who have been sanctified in him. And so Paul is called out here to become a witness to this, this good news. What other news could be greater than this? He's called to be a servant and a witness of this news to the world. Jesus saves you, and when he saves you, he changes you. That is the thing we shouldn't miss. You cannot truly be a Christian and stay the same. You cannot truly be in Jesus and stay the same. You cannot truly profess Jesus as Lord and put your trust in him and not be changed by the power of the good news. How can a, a person experience all these things, my brothers and sisters? Receive it. You've got to receive it. It has been extended to you. If you're not a Christian, if you've been going to church, but you really do not have this fellowship with Jesus, it's been extended to you. You've got to turn and receive it through prayer by faith in Jesus. Verse 18 again. For you are supposed to proclaim this, to be a servant and a witness. To open the eyes of both Jews and Gentiles and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This, my friends, is what we've been toiling for. This is the good news. It sounds simple, but it has more power than the most powerful atomic bomb that we can ever imagine. If you encounter the Lord Jesus, he will change every situation of your life. You will not be the same. So do you believe it? It's a question I want to ask you quite quietly and calmly. Do you really believe this? Do you truly believe the good news? Or you are playing religion? Do you believe that in Jesus your sins can be forgiven and that you receive a place, you have received a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus alone? If you do, like Paul, your eyes will not open and still see things the way you still did before you encountered Jesus. Everything is going to change. The way you observe your marriage, the way you see your children, the way you see life, will change. Receive it. Look at verse 20. 
I prayed that they should repent. This is part of his defense. <laughs> they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That's what I mean by he will change you if you encounter Jesus. There will be a turning. You turn from your old person, the way you have seen the world. You go blind and then your eyes are open like Paul, not literally. Well, if the Lord decides to blind you and open it again, that's fine. But that's not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to perhaps what it stood for. You now look at the world and you see it through the lens of the risen King Jesus. It changes you. You repent. You turn from. And then you turn to a new way of life. And that is why he said that they demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Repentance means you turn from trusting in yourself, trusting in your own righteousness, trusting in your self-saving, self-boasting, self-reliance, the idols of your heart that we trust in, and then we turn and put all our trust, every one of it, all our eggs in one basket. It is the basket of the Lord Jesus. The basket, which is the Lord Jesus. They said, don't put your eggs, all your eggs in one basket. When it comes to this, my friends, I charge you, I exhort you, put all your eggs in one basket. The basket, which is the Lord Jesus. And none of them will crack. None of them will be destroyed. None of them will be lost. You turn from all your own wisdom, reliance on your own wisdom to go about life, to go about your relationship and thinking that, oh, if I decide to do it this way, you've got to be real. Let's be realistic here. There is no real being realistic, being realistic, really realistic, than putting all your trust in Jesus. That is being realistic. If Jesus alone knows, if Jesus alone can save, if Jesus alone has the power to turn lives around, turn you from facing the wrath of God and facing the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, only Jesus can do that. Then it is rational. Then it makes sense. It is reasonable that you put all your eggs in one basket. That is repentance. And Jesus says that, those who are sanctified by faith in me. What does he mean by faith in me? First of all, he means that faith in him, not in any other person, not in Paul, not in any other person. What does he mean by faith in me? It means that believing that you deserve to die, you and I deserve to die before God forever in eternal punishment because of our hearts, because our hearts are full of idols, full of sin, full of self-saving, ways of living, sin against God, that we deserve it, I deserve it. By faith means that you believe that only God, only God can save you through Jesus' life, Jesus' death, and Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' death was your death. He didn't need to die. He is the most perfect human being ever who ever lived. Faith in Jesus means that every aspect of my life now is lived in dependence on him. I look to Jesus. I depend on him. I listen to him. I follow him. Everything is wrapped up. 
Help me, Lord. There's a prayer I've been praying in recent times for some time now. It is in John chapter 15 and verse 5. The gospel of John chapter 15, verse 5. Don't turn to it. Apart from you, I can do nothing. Help me. That has been my prayer. Sometimes lying face down. Apart from you, I can do nothing. Help me. Apart from you, I wouldn't know what it means to really love one woman. Help me. Apart from you, I wouldn't really understand what it means to lay down your life for one woman. Help me. I just use marriage as an example. Apart from you, I wouldn't know how to parent kids who are sometimes, let's face it, very annoying. <laughs> we love them to bits. Help me. That's by faith in Jesus. Absolute dependence on him. Apart from you, I cannot continue to love a husband who is so annoying. <laughs> Help me. By faith in him. It's not just a ticket to heaven. It is everything. Faith in Jesus. And that is the defense Paul is making. And he stands before Agrippa and says that, King Agrippa, I'm not saying anything new, am I? I'm not saying anything new. This is what the prophets have been saying. Verse 22 to 23. But God has helped me to this day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. That the Messiah will suffer and are the first, as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Christ, the Christ, the Messiah, the King will suffer, die for others. He will be raised from the dead on behalf of others who put their faith in him. Those who put their faith in him will no longer walk in darkness, but they will walk in light. And every day the light will be brighter and brighter if they are looking to Jesus and trusting him. Until when he appears and the light is bright because we will see him. Who is the light? Now, let's finish this. <laughs> when, people, when you feel people are sleeping, you scream a little bit. <laughs> Hopefully, they will pay attention and listen to you. Now, if this is the Jesus you have encountered, something else becomes visible in you, in me. And we see it in Paul. It is, it is this. It is a boldness and not being ashamed about this Jesus before anyone. Now, but that makes sense, doesn't it? If I have been forgiven, and if I have a place around the family dining table of the Lord Jesus, <laughs> who cares what you think of me so long as I am walking in Jesus? That, that is Paul's attitude here. So he stands before King Agrippa. King Agrippa and Festus, the governor, and, all, and Benis, and Benis is there, and all these important people who are guarded, and then he's declaring this boldly. Look at something that happens. For talking all along, everybody is listening to him, and then he came to talk about the resurrection. <laughs> Nobody liked that. And so the Roman governor, I don't know his background, Festus, he becomes annoyed. And the translation in English is trying to be gentle in the way it's been translated. But it's not gentle at all. It is like how people will say it in Ga. 
Obedjemo. Eh, what about dumb? That, that's what that's what is going on here. Let's say it as the Bible has recorded it. You are out of your mind. It's too uh, politically correct. This is. I'm standing uh, behind the Lord's pulpit. I would have used another expression. You might say this is too in inappropriate. But what about them? You, you're crazy. You're mad. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Most excellent Festus. I'm not out of my mind. I'm saying that which is true and rational. I've experienced it myself. And then again, what I'm saying is not new. It's public. It's really public. Everybody knows about it. When Jesus died, King Agrippa would have been a boy. He probably would have been, I don't know, maybe eight, nine, but he would have been a boy. And his ancestors were the, you know, the kings. And so he's grown up in this tradition. He knows it, knows the story. It wasn't hidden. Now, let me remind you of this story. When Jesus was raised from the dead, Cleopas and other disciples were walking to Emmaus, right? Wherever Emmaus is, it's in the Middle East. They were walking there, and then they were talking among themselves. And then Jesus comes along. They couldn't see him. He had kept them from seeing him. And then he asked them, what is it that you are talking about? <laughs> Listen to the response. The thing was public. He said to them, Luke 24, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. Ha. One of them, Cleopas, asked him, this is Jesus, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? This is public knowledge. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem? You haven't heard that Jesus, a certain Jesus that we followed, he lived, he died, and now some women are telling us who have gone to see that he has been raised from the dead and everybody is talking about it. And so when Paul says that this wasn't done in a corner, he said, you know that this happened in Judea. Everybody knows it. And then he says to King Agrippa, he says to the people, it hasn't escaped the king's attention. Then King Agrippa says to Paul, listen to his interest. He doesn't object that this is public knowledge. He sees what Paul is trying to do with his defense. <laughs> and then he says, verse 28, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? He sees that Paul in his defense was not talking about Paul. He wasn't defending Paul. He was proclaiming the good news. And his aim is that those who are listening to him will become Christians. Christians means like Christ. They will come and follow him and be in him and become like him. And so Paul finishes. What is Paul's goal here? His goal is that people will become Christian. And then when first, uh, Agrippa asks, do you think in this short time you're going to make me a Christian? He responds, short time or long, I pray that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, a Christian, except for these chains. You know, I don't want you to be bound with these chains. And so let's finish off, my friends. Hopefully, I've applied this enough as we went along and challenged you that or exhorted you and encouraged you that if you come to Jesus, he forgives you, 
and then he changes your identity. That's what Paul is saying. He gives you a place. He adopts you. Not only that, let's not just think of ourselves as we finish. He gives a certain commission that he calls all of us to together. In fact, that is why we're doing um, uh, reach out slots by equipping ourselves to be able to do it. Look at it in verse 30 to 32. It's not obvious, but I'll, I'll try to show it in a minute. The king rose, and with him the governor and Benis, and those sitting with them, and they left the room. They began saying to one another, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Verse 32, Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. He has appealed to Rome. To Rome he must go. If he had not done that, then we'll set him free. No, king. You don't understand it. Paul has to go to Rome. Caesar himself must hear this good news. That is Jesus' agenda. You remember that? Chapter 23, verse 11. When Paul was in trouble, he had been arrested. The following night, the Lord Jesus, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, you must also testify in Rome. The reason Paul will go to Rome is because Jesus wants Rome to also hear. Jesus wants Caesar himself to hear this good news. And so this is the way I finish off, brothers and sisters. If this good news is true, if this good news is that powerful, if this good news of Jesus changes life, then understand Jesus' vision and mission that everyone great and small will hear this good news and that somehow your own life will testify to it, but they will hear this good news, great or small, and that you are one of his instruments in his hands. And so the gospel will get to Rome not because Paul had done anything wrong, but because it is in line with Jesus' agenda. If the Jews have heard it in Jerusalem, the Gentiles must also hear it in Rome. Everyone, great and small, must hear it. And you are part, you who have experienced Jesus, you are part of his instrument. Throw yourself into his hands. Let's trust him. Let's pray it as Sarah did when she had the opportunity. And know that others will hear it too and be changed by it. Let me pray. Our Father, sometimes we are overwhelmed by the richness of your word and communicating it becomes a challenge. But thank you that God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who convicts and encourages and strengthens and rebukes and challenges and moves us. So we submit to him that he will do his work amongst us by the power of this great good news of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. In his name I pray. Amen.